Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Well, good morning. Maranatha. Maranatha. And to those of you who are watching us online this morning, Maranatha to you. Sometimes it doesn't feel like you're at church when you're at home, but you are because the presence of the Lord is there. Church people have church no matter where they are, amen? If it happens to be the first time that you have been to Connections Church here in person or watched us online, welcome. You are our special guest this morning. I thought I might just sit down like you are. I don't know how long that'll last for me to just be seated. But if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, and I pray you do, I almost posted a video yesterday encouraging you to bring your Bible with you. There's something about just carrying this around. And it's been, uh, there's been a lot of things that have been heavy on my heart lately that uh, God's been working on me with. And one of those things is um, having this with me. Because I see that as time progresses, that there may be a time when uh, I can't have this out in public. I can't be showing it off and showing it around. So something inside me makes me want to take this with me everywhere I go. And And like some of you, I've got this in my truck everywhere I go all week long. And if I end up with some spare time and Uh, waiting on somebody to do something, I get this out and just open it up. Isn't it great to have the Word of the Lord available to us? Readily available. So open your Word if you would, if you've got it with you, or if you're turning that on electronically today. Um, Of course, this is week two of our study in Revelation. And uh, I don't know about you, but I love this whole book, but I love the culmination of time that's told to us here in the book of Revelation. How many of you have made a study of this book at some time or another in your your walk? And that doesn't mean if you've made a study of it or or if you haven't that that you don't know everything or that you do know everything. I've read it and read it uh, multiple times and studied it and taught it and prayed over it and I still don't understand everything that I see in here, but we have been given the instructions and we rejoice in the fact that we can look at it and we can read it and eat it and love it for what it is. So if you have that turn to Revelation, we're going to be around chapters four and five. We may skip all over the place. Here's what I know this morning. I want to see Jesus. I just... I just want to see Him. And the longer I live, the more I want to see Him. Now, I do have to admit that there was a time when I didn't particularly think that way or feel that way. I didn't necessarily want to do that. When I was younger, I didn't know for sure that I wanted to go to heaven, that I wanted to see Him. Not that I didn't want to go to heaven, but just that didn't sound like something positive to me when I was younger. But the longer I live and the more trouble I see, the more I want to see Him. I want to see the One that gave His life for me. The, The One that laid it all out on the cross. The One that made the decision, not forced to, but made the decision to give His life so that I could live forever. I want to see Jesus. 
And as I thought through the message for this morning and thought through where, where do we need to go after the great start we had last week, and by the way, if you weren't with us last week or didn't tune in or happened to miss that and didn't get a chance to go back, the rapture happened last week. Amen? Not the real rapture, or we wouldn't be sitting here. But Pastor Robert brought the start of our, our study in Revelation, the message of the rapture of the church and the things that will be involved in that. And, and so I thought, where, where do we need to go this week? What's the next logical step? And that would be what's going on in heaven and what's going on in earth, on earth, after the rapture. But there's something that's been heavy on my mind that I've had a chance to speak about at prayer meeting on Monday night a couple weeks ago and then this past Wednesday night in a connect group that I've led. And that is this thing of seeing versus hearing. Seeing versus hearing. You see, the world that we're living in and all of the things that are going on around us, and we can put our own labels on what those things are. Some of those things are going on inside of our own house. Some of them are the things that we see on the news, the, the uh, updates, if you will, about the, the virus and the tension that's in our country and in our world. And all of that stuff that we're seeing catches our attention, does it not? We've got our eyes on what is going on around us, and it's good to do that. We should be aware of what's going on around us. But about two weeks ago, on a Saturday afternoon, I was shoveling dirt in my yard, and very, very clearly, not audibly, but very, very clearly, I felt the Lord say to me, make ready, time is short and get serious about the coming of the Lord. Now, I didn't share that with just a couple, a handful of people. That he said that to me, that, that I felt like not only was that directed at me personally, but it was something that I needed to bring to you, our church body, our faith family, that we need to stop playing games, stop playing church, and stop having our eyes on the things around us that we see and get serious with God. As Pastor Robert brought last week, the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church, is imminent. If you wanted to look at a timeline of the end time events, we are in that day of grace that comes before the rapture, but the rapture is the very next thing. And by the way, we've been in the day of grace, the age of the grace of God, for a very long time. When I was young and anticipated a vacation or getting out of school for Christmas vacation or uh, heading somewhere to grandma's house or whatever it was, that date was put on the calendar and it was told to us as kids and we couldn't wait for it to come. But it seemed like it would never get there. Do you remember back when kids went to school? Do you remember? <laughs> When school started at the end of August or 1st of September at Labor Day, Christmas break seemed so far away. But you couldn't wait until Christmas break so you could be out for a couple of weeks and for Christmas to come. But it seemed like it never came. When you're waiting on something, it just drags on forever. When you find out the great announcement that you're expecting 
It, you know it's only nine months in your head, but it seems forever for that child to come. Things take time. And they don't come as fast as we want them to. It seems like everything that we're waiting on is way out on the horizon. But what I'm here to say this morning to us is a reminder that the coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church, has been way out on the horizon for a very, very long time. And so even when I was young and grew up in church like some of you did, I heard the, pe the preacher say or the teacher say, Jesus could come at any moment. Well, if he could come at any moment when I was 12, now that I'm almost 50, why hasn't he come? What are we waiting on? What's the delay? But the more I read in this book and the more I understand who God is, I realize that our linear train of thought and time means nothing to him. One day is as a thousand years, and so his timing is not our timing. Can I get an amen on that? Some of us have been waiting for God to move in some area for a very long time. Some of us all our lives have been praying about something, and it's not happened yet. Some of you in this church that I know personally have been waiting on something for years. You've been praying and putting it in God's hands, and it hasn't happened yet. God's timing is not our timing. However, when we think about the end times and we think about the progression of time... The rapture of the church has been on the horizon, imminent, for a very long time. So I believe, as Pastor Robert said last week when he introduced this study to us, that the rapture of the church, the catching away, is imminent, meaning it could happen at any moment and there's nothing else that needs to happen before that happens. I did a little bit of research on that, not that that's where we were going again today uh, over the, the last week, and realized that a lot of people point to the scripture in uh, Matthew, I believe it is, chapter 24, that says that everyone will have to have heard the message of Jesus Christ before the end comes. The more I read that, the more I think about that, and I've used that over the years as a train of thought to say, well, we still have time then, because not everyone has heard. Have they? Not only do we not know that, if they've heard, we can make an assumption that there are some faraway places in a jungle or an island somewhere and no one has gotten there yet to speak the name of Jesus. But on top of that, I'm not even sure that that specific scripture points to the rapture of the church. It may point to the second coming, which is seven years after that. I say all that to just say the rapture of the church could happen at any moment. Jesus is going to step out on the cloud and call his church home. So why would we delay getting our relationship straight with God and telling as many people as we can about who He is? In a world where we have nothing but watched everything fall apart around us, some of the closest people to us, we have watched them fall down and disappoint us. We've seen our political system, our economic system, our school system, our religious system, every other system that we have around us, we have watched it disintegrate in front of our very eyes. But yet we're still watching. I still find myself, I catch myself watching this happen. And God has worked on me over the last couple of weeks to say, what I need you to do is Get your eyes off of that 
and hear my voice. It's going to be a little repetitious for a couple of people that I've talked to over the last couple of weeks and those that were here last Wednesday night. But there's some scriptures that have been very plainly pointed out to me that say, hear my voice. He says in John that my sheep hear my voice. He didn't say my sheep see me. He said they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So instead of me looking and always being on the watch for something happening visually, I need to be listening for his voice. Folks, we live in a very, very dark world. If we, were to turn the dark, if we were to turn the lights out in this room and make it pitch dark right now, could you depend on your eyes any longer? No, you would need to be listening for some commands to say, remain calm. We're about to open the exit doors as soon as we find them. We wouldn't be able to depend on our sight. That's why the Bible tells us that we walk by faith and not by Oh, you guys have read this book. Because he knew that in these last days, as dark as they are, I said I was going to try to sit down. In these last days, as dark as we find ourselves in, he knew that we would not be able to depend on our sight, but that we would need to be listening for his voice. He told his disciples in the book of Matthew, the things I have told you, he says specifically, in the dark, go and tell on the rooftops. Not the things you've seen. Those were great. We saw miracles happen. But he said, the things I told you where? In the dark. Go and tell in the rooftops. Guys, we are living in a dark time. We would be wise to hear and heed today. That's the title of the message, by the way. I made that up just before I came up here. Hear and heed God's Word. We have got to start taking who He is seriously. See, we have enjoyed this time of grace. And we have heard multiple times. You know, sometimes we just hear things too often. Have you noticed that? I've seen that happening with this coronavirus situation. At first it was a great big deal. I'm going to say that, and then I'm going to say on the back side of that, it is a big deal. I'm not downplaying its effect. But it was going to be this huge thing that was going to keep us from being able to look one another in the eyes for months and months and potentially forever. But the longer it goes on, the more we hear about it, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but the more I hear about it, sort of the, the less it impacts me. You kind of get used to it, right? We've gotten used to grabbing our mask when we get out of the truck to go into a store. You, you just don't think about it anymore unless you're one of those that gets caught at the door. I, I saw some of you this past week and they wouldn't let you in. But the, the longer we hear about something, kind of the less we pay attention to it. It's that way when they uh, predict a hurricane to come and hit our area. And if you're not living in a coastal area, maybe that doesn't make any sense to you. Maybe it's a, a big storm and you live in the Midwest or uh, you live up north and it's a snowstorm. But here in the Carolinas, when they say, hey, there's a hurricane that's about to hit about the Charleston areas generally when we get it, we know here in the Charlotte area, well, we better buckle down. We could get this thing. But the more they talk about it and the more they hear about it, kind of the less we worry about it. Uh, hurricanes coming and the best we can do is say well we, we I think I've got some fresh batteries in the basement I mean that's about it so the longer we hear about things kind of the less prepared we become the less it impacts us so how many years have we heard about the coming of Jesus the rapture of the church for me it's 40 whatever I am this year 
years. I've been hearing about that because I've been in church my whole life. And some of you are in that same boat. Some of you are like Dawn, and you've been in church for 150 years, and you have heard this every Sunday. Every Sunday. And you kind of get to the point where you don't let it impact you anymore. And so as I thought about what, what am I possibly going to be able to do this morning to bring us all to the level where we will stop ignoring the warning that is on the horizon that we see in the book of Revelation, in the book of Daniel, in the book of Matthew, and all these other places in the Bible. What could I do? What could I say to you this morning that would help you to prepare for the coming of the Lord more than you already have? And the only thing I know to tell you is Maranatha. The Lord is coming. Hear that. It doesn't look like that as we look around. We, we can't see it because we're in the dark. Everywhere we look, there's just negative stuff and bad news and darkness all around us. So we can't depend on what we see. We have to depend on what we hear. And where do we hear it from? This book. Folks, if you're not reading this book on a regular basis, you need to be. There will come a time where you won't be able to see anything on the horizon that's good. You won't be able to see where God is. But if you are in this book, even if it's not in your hand, if these words have been put into your heart like He says to do, you will hear His voice. And those of my sheep, He said, that hear my voice, I know them. And they follow me. That particular Scripture has hit me hard this week. I think He was talking about that specific moment when He said that to them. The people who were listening right then and said, my sheep hear my voice and, and I know them and they follow me. But I think more importantly, He was talking about they follow me into eternity. When I step out on that cloud, when that trumpet sounds and when I call them home, they follow me there because they hear my voice. Hearing and heeding is the call of the day. I'm kind of cutting to the chase to get to the end of the, uh, of the, of the message, if you will, this morning, but I want to encourage you this week to close your eyes. Get in a dark place and listen for His voice. I'm not going to tell you that He's going to speak to you. I don't know that. He calls us to listen. He never said He would speak in that moment. He didn't say He wouldn't either. But He does call us and command us to listen. So, as we get to Revelation around chapters 4 and 5, and like I said, I love this Revelation, because it is just that. It is, a, it is a revealing of who Jesus is. And it is a revealing of who Jesus will be. We've always pointed to Revelation as future events. Amen? If you read through the first couple of chapters of Revelation, you will realize that around chapter 1, probably verse 19, if I remember correctly, John makes the statement that he is to write down the things that he has seen, the things that are, and the things that will to come. 
Chapter 1 is the things that he has seen. He gives you a description of who Jesus is and who he is seeing. In chapters 2 and 3, John writes out the letters that he's told to write to the seven churches in Asia. That, that is, those are, those seven letters are the things that are at that moment. And in chapters 4 through 22 of Revelation are the things that John was permitted to write down of the things that will be. And so as we look at chapters 4 and chapter 5, as we look at on a timeline, and by the way, if you don't have a timeline in your hand of end events, they're on that chair right there. You can pick one up after the service. If I need to print more, I will. And it just kind of shows you the timeline. But if you look at the timeline of events, after the rapture of the church, praise God for the rapture of the church, I believe as Pastor Robert said last week, we, the followers of Christ, those that have put our confidence and faith in who He is, will be gone at that point. Praise God for that, because He is about to unleash the wrath on this planet that He promised He would. And we had a conversation about that this past week too. We want to paint God as the God of love and the God of peace and the God of all of these things. And He is those things. But He is also a God of wrath. He will have His day. He has given each and every human being on this planet the opportunity to submit to His authority and give their life to Him. And if they don't, they will suffer the wrath. You might not like that picture of God, but we didn't get to write it, and so we don't get to change it. It is what it is. So after the rapture of the church, what's going on? And as you read through Revelation, and if you've never made a study of it, or if you've read through it as a casual way, understand that the scene changes every couple of chapters. Sometimes John is writing the things that are going on in heaven, and sometimes he's writing the things that are going on on the earth. And that is a great way for us to understand Revelation, even though we won't understand every little thing we read. If we understand the context, and that some of the pictures we get there are heavenly pictures and some are earthly pictures, what is going on after the revelation, the rapture of the church? Well, I can tell you where I'll be. And I can tell you where you'll be if you're a follower of Christ. You'll be caught up in the clouds, as Pastor Robert said last week, and be present with the Lord Jesus in heavenly places. And what is happening on earth at that point is probably best been depicted visually for us to understand in, was it Jerry Jenkins that wrote the Left Behind series and subsequent movies that came out on that that I didn't watch because I just, I want the biblical picture of it. I don't really care what somebody else thinks, but no doubt they were good information. It's mayhem, right? The earth will be, I can only imagine like you have probably at times, when Thousands, if not millions of people who have put their faith in Christ are gone. What would that do here? You think the economic system is in ruin now? Oh, it'll be completely destroyed. You think the, the uh, education system is a mess now? Yeah, because a good many teachers that I know will be gone. Think about the other industries and the other uh, aspects of our society and millions of people have suddenly disappeared. And I can't paint that picture for you any better than you probably already have it in your head. I don't know what it will be like and I don't plan to be here. But it'll be mayhem and it'll be chaos. You talk about crime rates. 
They'll probably be through the roof. And so after the rapture, what is going on on earth is mayhem. But I can tell you from God's perspective what He's going to do. He's going to remove the hand of the Holy Spirit that is currently in place that holds back the evil one. He's going to remove that protection and Satan will have a period of time where he will be able to do whatever he wants. This will be his realm at that point. And we know that the tribulation starts. We don't know how soon after the rapture the tribulation starts. We can assume it would start relatively quickly, but we're not given that information. But you know this tribulation period, this seven-year period that's split into two halves, three and a half years on the front and three and a half years on the back, will start at some point after the rapture of the church. And we know that in the middle of that, th- that seven-year period, at the three-and-a-half-year mark, the Antichrist will be overcome with demonic power and will turn on his agreement, his peace treaty with Israel. We know that during the tribulation period, what's happening on earth at some point when it starts is that God's wrath starts. And the seals and the trumpets and the bowls will start to be unleashed on this planet. That is a judgment, by the way. It's God's judgment on Israel. And so there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of speculation and you may have done enough study to where you've got some of those things rolling around in your mind and you would like to know, well, who is the Antichrist? I don't know. Do I believe he's alive and on the earth today? Absolutely. Do I know who he is? Absolutely not. Well, when will this happen and when will that happen? And we can get caught up in the weeds, if you will, of all of these different things that are going to be going on on earth when I just told you we won't be here. So it's great to study and it's interesting to find out, but if it doesn't affect me personally, I could almost say, I don't care. Only to the extent would I care that I want to take as many people to heaven with me as possible and not leave them here for that. It's going to be so wrathful and so degrading and so sad. During that time, that all of us should feel an urgency when we read through those passages and understand the tribulation that's coming on this earth, that we should be reaching out to people saying, I don't want you to have to go through that. That's the urgency that we all should feel inside of us. That's why we have this information. So the progression of the wrath of God starts after the rapture here on earth. The Antichrist is revealed and signs a peace treaty with Israel and then subsequently in the middle of those seven years breaks that peace treaty. Here's the other thing that's happening on earth. There's a great revival of souls. I believe from reading in Scripture and believe with all of my heart that there will be many, many people saved during the tribulation period. They will pay the ultimate price. They are not becoming saved in the time of grace that we have when, if you will excuse this term, it's made easy for us. These people will give everything, including possibly and probably their lives because the Wrath of God has started, but he says there's going to be 144 Jewish evangelists that are going to go through the earth and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And thousands, I hope millions of people, will give their hearts and souls and life to Jesus Christ during the tribulation period.
I've had people say, well, pastor, if they're going to, if I've still got an opportunity after the rapture to be saved, then why don't I just wait till then? Don't do it. Because in the midst of the evangelizing and in the midst of uh, all of that going on, there's also going to be deception like we cannot imagine. We think we're deceived now. You think there's uh, deception going on in the world around you and you can easily uh, differentiate between what is right and what is wrong. It will become very, very difficult for you to decide that if you are left here. Plus, like I said, you might have to give the ultimate price your life to stand for Christ during the tribulation, don't chance it. Why would you risk it? So all of that is going on on earth. Mayhem, tribulation, to the furthest extent that you could possibly paint that word is going on. And if you want to know what those seals and trumpets and bowls look like, start in chapter 6 of Revelation and start reading through there. You won't decide to be here for that. But what's going on in heaven? Let's get there because that's where I'll be. That's where you'll be. Starting in Revelation chapter 4, John writes the picture that he's painted. And I want you to see as chapter 4 starts out very quickly, we won't have time to go through everything today. In verse 1, in red, Jesus says, come up here. Isn't that beautiful? That's the invitation of the rapture of the church. John is asked, come up here. I will show you what you must, what, 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 what must take place after this. That's the rapture of the church. John goes and he sees what's going on and we've got this beautiful picture of the throne room of Christ. And I believe that when we are raptured and when we arrive in heavenly places, This is what we'll see. And John has painted it with the best words that he has available to him. If you were to see what John saw today, your account of it would probably read differently. This is John's best attempt to show us, to write down what he is seeing and what he is hearing inside this throne room. And so he starts out and and tells us about the throne of God. And if you don't miss it when you read through there, he says that there is a rainbow and that it shines like emerald in that place. John has appeared. He's been raptured and he is in the throne room in heavenly places where we will be and he sees the very throne of God. Someone sitting on that throne and a rainbow. Now, when's the last time from a biblical perspective you saw a rainbow or heard of a rainbow? You see, God had a plan for the rainbow long before man made the rainbow a symbol of our humanity. God said, when I show you a rainbow, it is my promise and it is the promise of my faithfulness to you. And so what more beautiful thing could John have told us about the very throne of God but to say there's a rainbow there? reminding us of the rainbow that occurred after the great flood when God made the promise that He would never do that again, that He would always take care of His people. John reminds us, when you get to heaven, you'll see that forgiveness, that faithfulness, and that promise is still there. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The rainbow encircles the very throne of God. It's His faithfulness and His promise 
that He would take care of us. And then in front of that throne is a sea of glass. That blew my mind this week because I don't know about some of you, I've spent a little bit of time this year and hope to spend some more next week at the ocean. And when you're at the ocean, it's always moving, is it not? Oh, it might be more uh, wavy one day, the seas might be rough, the next day it might be a little more calm, but it's always moving. There's always waves flapping on the shore in front of God's throne, everything stops. He's the author and in control of everything in nature and everything created. So in front of the very throne of God, not only is there the rainbow, but there's a sea of glass that isn't moving. The very thing that constantly moves, the very thing that's constantly agitated on this earth, smooth. It stops in the presence of God. And then there's four living creatures amongst the other uh, beings that are there that John writes about that are there around the throne of God. And the four that are specifically mentioned are, are, are there, uh, attribute themselves, in most cases, most people believe, to the books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Simply because, again, John is trying to paint for us a picture of what he's seeing. And he sees these, these creatures there. And he says, one has a face like a lion, the other one like an ox, the, the other one the, uh, like a man, and the other one like an eagle. But in, in Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is given to us, if you read through that, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah. So that picture is painted through the entire book of Matthew that he is a lion, he is an overcomer. And then in Mark, the picture that we're painted in the book of Mark of who Jesus is is one of a servant. And we would attribute to the qualities of, of an ox to be something of a servant to, to man. And then in Luke, Luke, the doctor, he writes the book of Luke and he shows the humanity of who Jesus is so that we can relate, so that we understand. He came from heavenly places down to earth and became a man. He can relate to how we feel. And so that was the, the face of man. And then John paints this beautiful picture in the book of John of how Jesus rises above everything. The eagle. And so these four creatures, these four beings are worshiping around the very throne of God. And then John paints this picture of the one who is on the throne and in his right hand is a scroll. Now I want you to understand that that scroll, if you've done any study in the book of uh, Revelation, that scroll is super important. That scroll is the title deed to planet earth. All of the things that are contained inside that scroll were given to Daniel. And if you want to reference that, you can go back to Daniel chapter 12, verse 4 at some point and see that God revealed all these things to Daniel also and said, seal those up. Seal that scroll up until the end of time. As we look at Revelations chapter 4 and 5, the end of time is now at that point. And so this scroll, the very scroll that was sealed, is in the hand of the one that is on the throne. And in this scene of all of this, these people, who these creatures and the sea of people that are there at the throne room of God, there's an announcement that goes out from an angel, and it's in chapter 5. And the angel says, Who is worthy 
to break the seals and open the scroll. Who is worthy? And he continues, John writes and says, But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look at it. And John says, I wept and wept in the NIV version. I wept and wept. This was not just a, I'm sad. This was a weeping moment for John. And I pointed out when I taught this years ago, that very well might be the first time and maybe the only time anyone ever cried in heaven. Because we know that when we arrive in heaven someday, there'll be no more tears. But John is in the very presence of God Himself in His throne room. And because of this angel's question, and the fact that no one is found worthy to open the scroll, John says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scrolls or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. What occurred to me as I read over that again this week about this happening right after the rapture of the church, in this great big throne room scene of God that I believe we will all stand in. It's a mass of people. It's a mass of creatures. It's a mass of beings. And in all of that, John, the very author of the book of Revelation, missed the fact that Jesus was standing right in the middle. And what occurred to me was in the the world that we live in and allowing all the things to impact us that we do with our eyes open, constantly looking at everything that's happening around us, are we missing Jesus in the midst of all of this? Because the scene here to me is, uh, I hate to use the word chaotic, but it's, it's loud and, and, and there's a lot going on and John's trying to take it all in and he's given us as many details as he possibly can, but it's not a necessarily a peaceful scene, although the sea of glass is peaceful. The the crowd is singing. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. There's other creatures that are singing, you are worthy. You are the one who is worthy. And so there's noise. It's kind of chaotic. And in the midst of all of that, the announcement is made and the question is put out, who can open the scrolls? And there's no one that's worthy to open the scrolls. But then this elder stands up and says, do not weep. He's right there. And then John says in verse 6 of chapter 5, then I saw a lamb. Notice that the elder said, look, there's a lion. But when John recorded it, he said, I see a lamb. Did you catch that? It's exactly what Israel was hoping They were looking for a lion. They were looking for a king to come in. And so they had their eyes already looking for someone who was in armor with sword drawn to come in and save them from the the Romans at that time. But what they got was a lamb. They got a sacrifice. Same thing here. The elder says, look, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And John looks and says, I see A lamb looking as though it has been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He was right there. 
In the midst of all of that, there was really no reason for weeping. There was no reason for tears. But John didn't see him there until someone said, he's right there. And I thought this week about Zacchaeus who had to climb up in a tree. He was a man of short stature and he wanted to see Jesus. So he climbed up in a tree and, and, and finally laid eyes on him and said, he's right there. I can imagine the crowds of people when Jesus performed miracles like feeding 5,000 on a hillside that day. 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So there are at least 10,000 people there. Have you ever been in a crowd of 10,000 people and somebody said, hey, there's so-and-so. You're like, where? I can't see him. And that was the anticipation that people came to hear Jesus speak on the hillsides when he went out because they knew that most likely he was going to say something they needed to hear. He was going to perform miracles. And so they were constantly looking through the crowd. Can you imagine 10,000 people and somebody's like, hey, Jesus has blessed the food and now it's multiplying over there. And they're like, where? I can't see him. It'd be like Pastor Robert. We'd have to give him a little boost like this. Come on, hey, there he is. Are they set? And in this throne room of God, the creatures that are singing holy, holy, holy in this world that we live in, all this noise that's going on around us and we've got our eyes open and we see COVID over here and racial tension over here, monuments being torn down over here and we're like, oh my God, this is terrible. In the midst of all that, Jesus is right here and we're missing Him sometimes. We're not seeing Him here. So the message this morning with hear and heed is He's right here. And we can't depend on our eyes to see Him. He has not made Himself visible to us like He did there in this scene to John. But one day, brothers and sisters, when the trumpet of the Lord sounds, we will stand in this place in front of this throne and these same creatures and these same people will be there singing, holy, 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 and guess what we'll do? We'll sing too. Holy, holy, holy is our Lord God Almighty. And somebody's going to say, look, there's Jesus. And we're all going to be like, where? I can't see him. Get out of the way. But until I get there, I don't want to miss him here. And so until that day, I'm going to close my eyes, sometimes physically, sometimes spiritually. And I'm going to listen. Listen for the voice of God. What are you saying? I want to so desperately see you someday. I want to so desperately follow you. I don't want to miss you calling over here and you move and I, I, I don't go because I was too busy watching what's going on over here and I didn't see you over there. And I can imagine what went on inside of John when he, when this elder said, look right there is the line. And John looked and he saw a lamb. He turned his eyes to fall on what he thought would be a lion. And we picture that lion from whatever literature you've read or whatever Disney movie you've watched or whatever that picture is in your head. Something that is dominant. Something that has a great big mane. Something that will come in with strength and power like this. And John said, I laid my eyes on a lamb. And it looked as though he had been sacrificed. Exactly. Because might and power didn't buy your salvation. Sacrifice did. Would you close your eyes with me this morning?
We've got to learn to hear God's voice. I'm not good at this. I don't have this figured out. I can't, I can't tell you that I always hear. I can tell you that I'm always trying to hear. I can tell you that I catch myself a lot with my eyes open looking at other stuff in this world instead of listening. But we got to do more, brothers and sisters, than listen. We have to heed, meaning we have to take action afterwards. We have to take what we've heard and then do it. And Jesus said, I will save you from the things to come. All that stuff that's going to be going on on the earth when the tribulation starts and for years after that, all that hate. Unlike the hate we see on our streets today, it'll be more severe. He says, I can save you from all of that. And see, just making it to heaven used to be my spiritual goal. And I think as the church, we've done a bad job because we just keep telling people, hey, don't you want to go to heaven? I remember being asked that as a kid. Don't you want to go to heaven? Well, of course I do. What's the alternative? Hell? No, I don't want to go there. Jesus says, when I return, I'm bringing with you your prize. Have you ever seen that in Revelation? Guess what your prize is? It's Jesus Himself. We've got to fall in love with that idea. We've got to fall in love with the concept and the reality that, yes, we want to go to heaven, but not just so that we can escape the things to come, but so that we can see Jesus. He's the one that laid it down for us. He's the one that voluntarily bled and died for you, for me, for humanity. I want to see Him. But until I can see Him, I want to hear Him. Folks, heed God's Word today. Maranatha, He is coming soon. Read your Word. Paul's writings, someone who saw the heavens that John is writing about also, writes to us and says exactly what is going to happen. He's going to step out on the cloud. The trumpet's going to sound and those that are dead in Christ will rise and then those who remain will be caught up in the air to be with Him forever. How do we need to live our lives differently so that we can make sure we are in that number? If you're here today, You've never made that commitment to Christ. You don't know for sure. And I'm asking you, I'm, I'm begging you. This is what I'm called to do for you and for this church and for those that would listen over the internet. This is what I've been called to do is to stand in front of you and beg you and plead with you to heed God's Word. If you've never made a commitment to Christ, if you've never confessed your sins to Him and said, I believe that you are the Son of God and you gave your life for me, I need you to save me. 
Would you be bold enough to raise your hand today and let me pray with you? Anybody at all in this room? Don't leave here uncertain of what destination you will be in at the rapture of the church. Is there anybody here today that would be bold enough to raise their hand and say, I have not taken God's word seriously. I have heard this all my life, but I need to take it more seriously. I need to heed God's word. Anybody at all, just raise your hand. Say, Pastor, don't forget about me before we leave here today. I, I just, I need to be more serious in my walk with who he is. Anybody at all? I see that hand. Thank you. You see at the, the other part that will be going on in heaven when we arrive there after the rapture is called the Bema. It's usually referred to as a judgment, but judgment has two parts. One is that it condemns and gives punishment, but the other part of judgment is that it gives rewards. And the Bema judgment of Christ that will happen in heaven after the rapture of the church is we will all stand before Christ. And He's not going to look at us to decide whether or not we're going to heaven or not. That's already been decided by the blood of Jesus that's been applied to our sins. But He will give out rewards. And I want you so desperately to be there. I want you to see that happen. I want you to see that throne room. I want you to experience what John did his best to write to us. But most of all, I want you to see Jesus. When we stand across this room, all of us, I want to pray for all of us, and then we're going to worship this God. Can we stand together? There's something about standing in the presence of Almighty God. It may just be a reverence thing. It might be something I was taught when I was in, in church as a little one, but there's just something about standing in His presence. And so, Heavenly Father, here we are today in Your presence. And God, we read and we try the best we can with these human frail minds that we have to understand what's written in this book. You said we would be blessed if we would just read it. You didn't say we had to understand it. You said, I'll give you the understanding that you need. And so God, I pray for the understanding of the Holy Spirit to come on these people. That we would understand today that it's the things that will to, are to come in the future, the, the things that will happen in the throne room, your throne room, that we will someday lay our eyes on and enjoy in your presence. But until that day, would you help us to be urgent to hear and to heed your word? We won't and we can't do this on our own. And so, Lord, you've surrounded us with this fellowship of believers in our families, and you have sent, thank you, Jesus, for sending your Holy Spirit to help us. So Lord, if there was a person here today or watching on the internet or will watch this or hear this in the future that doesn't know you, that hasn't made a commitment for you to be Lord and Savior of their life, Jesus, let today be that day. We prayed for salvations and souls before this started this morning. So you've already started a work. And God, before you send for us, before you call us home, you are calling for people to come to the knowledge of You 
to worship You, to repent of their sins, to turn and to follow You. And so I pray for them that they would have the courage and the boldness to just simply pray, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. It's no more complicated than that. And Lord, for those who raise their hands in this room, maybe some that were online that raised their hands, that just need to take their relationship with You more seriously today. God, I pray for an extra dose of boldness for them. That they would leave this place in just a moment today. That they would disconnect from this service on the internet today feeling a supernatural desire and strength inside of them to worship You. That's the picture I see, God, that John gave me when I arrived in your throne room is that there were people singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You see, they weren't down there thanking you for anything. They weren't down there asking for anything. They were just simply worshiping you. That's the state that I want to be in today. And so I ask you for that supernatural dose of your Holy Spirit on those who desire to heed Your Word. We are still in this world, God. You know that. That is not taking You by surprise. But You are still speaking to Your people. And so we take our eyes off of the things around us and we put not only our eyes, but our ears on You. Holy Spirit, indwell us. I believe in You. I believe in You, Holy Spirit. Indwell us. As we open our hearts, our minds, our spirits, would You come in as You promised You would? as You have been since the day of Pentecost. And give us a freedom and the power to carry on here until You call us home. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.